The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 32. Hello and welcome back to another amazing session here at the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, the podcast about medical school where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. I'm your host, Ryan Gray, and just like last week, I have my wonderful co-host in the studio with me. Hi there. That's Allison Gray, the recent graduate from her neurology residency. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. For all those that sent tweets to Allison and to congratulate her, thank you. There's still time. You can still tweet her. <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs> At Medical School HQ. Give a uh, congratulations, Allison. And congratulations to all you other folks out there who just graduated residency, too. Yes. And all those that are submitting their applications and going on interviews. And wherever you are in the process, just congratulations for being in the process. <laughs> I think we all need a pat on the back every now and then as we as we go through this long and grueling process to kind of know that um, it, it it's worthwhile. So, congratulations all around. If you haven't interacted with us yet, we want you to. There's a couple of different ways to interact with us and uh, share your thoughts on what we're talking about here and communicate with us. One of the ways, like I just mentioned, we're on Twitter at Medical School HQ. You can shoot us an email, feedback at medicalschoolhq.net, or you can go to the show note. If you're listening to the podcast on our website, you're already on the show notes, but if you're in the car or, or listening on the go, you can always go to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash session 32 for this episode since it's uh, the 32nd episode. So any any podcast you listen to, just go to the session and then number. For today's topic, we are kind of moving forward and, and continuing on from our topic last week, which was kind of eight key things that we wish we would have known as pre-med or, we, or eight things that we realize now were very important looking back. This this time we're going to talk about uh, a few things. I think we have about seven that we're going to talk about uh, important things to know during medical school and stuff that we wish we would have known a little bit more. And, and again, looking back, we, we think are very important to know as you start off in your medical school journey. 
So that's what we're going to talk about today. So one of the first things that we came up with was the fact that medical school is a, a whole different level of smart. Most of us in medical school, in, as physicians now, we're, we're obviously smart enough to be doctors. And if you ask me, I personally don't think you need to be super smart to be a doctor. You just need to work hard. Like anything in life, you need to work hard at what you want to do, and, and eventually the goal will pay off. You obviously need to be smart enough to do well in the MCAT and get good grades. And, and so there's, there's that certain level of smart. And during your high school years and then your undergrad years, you might have been the best one in, the, in your class. And then you get to medical school and you're maybe middle of the road. And don't be discouraged. You can't be the best at everything. There's, there's, a a bell curve for a reason. So the the biggest take from this that that I want you to get out of it and we'll hear Allison's take on it is the fact that just don't get discouraged. You you don't have to be the best in medical school. You you obviously need to do well and we'll talk about some other things to think about during medical school, but the the analogy that I like to use is it's like as a baseball player going from little league to the major leagues. There's there's a huge gap in in competition in the the level of smart that you're dealing with so that's what I want to talk about what do you think about that Allison yeah I would agree I think the word I would say is don't be intimidated when you enter medical school you're going to be surrounded by a lot of smart people just remember that you were chosen to matriculate with this class the admissions committee spend hours upon hours uh, figuring out who they want in that medical school class. And they clearly wanted you because you're there. So don't be intimidated. Be encouraged. Be inspired by all of the amazing people around you who are smart and excited about becoming doctors down the road. So take that in and make friends, meet people. And yes, embrace the challenge that awaits you because as we'll talk about in a moment, that whole different kind of smart is a setup because you are about to enter a whole new kind of challenge in terms of uh, the amount of information and what's going to be expected of you. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. (laughs) The whole fire hydrant analogy. Yeah, I like that. Drinking from a fire hose is one way that people uh, talk about medical school. It's That's the analogy they use, that when you enter medical school, you open wide and you start drinking from a fire hose because that information comes at you faster than you can ever believe. And you have those those spare moments after you've finished a bunch of exams where you can watch a whole bunch of episodes of 24, do something relaxing, go out with your friends. Uh, but that that comes, again, right back. You have a whole tons and just tons and tons and tons of information that, that is flying at you all the time. So that kind of rolls right into number two that we were going to talk about is, is knowing knowing you and how you study the best. And for me, I took three years off between undergrad and medical school, so I totally forgot how to study. But you had a lovely uh, study buddy to remind you. I did. I'll have to thank her sometime. (laughs) I'll have to look her up. Oh, wait, it was you. Never mind. Anyway, the, the ability to understand and to 
consistently get feedback in the form of your grades on quizzes and tests and and asking around and and knowing what you're learning and taking that information and adjusting your study habits and adjusting how you're studying maybe you're you, you like to use flashcards but when you get to medical school you realize there just isn't enough time to create all the flashcards that you need to create for everything that you need to learn but you're still you're still trying to hold on to those flashcards and do it and you're just getting further and further behind and so be willing to adjust as necessary and try different study habits and ask around and see what other people are doing and I know some people like flashcards. Some people like reading the book into a recorder and then listening back to their voice reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I I probably would have liked that. There there are many different ways to learn and just be willing to try a couple different ones if you find yourself struggling. Yeah, and I think knowing yourself and what's worked for you in the past, don't be afraid that the study habits that you had in college are not going to serve you all in medical school. They may be perfect. Um, so it's it's really just the amount of material and how quickly it comes at you that's different. So you can use some of those same study habits if they've worked for you in the past, but you may need to adapt. You will definitely need to adapt, I should say. Uh, finding a study buddy, we were joking about that a moment ago, but that really is an important thing. Um, partially because well, I should say, too, that Ryan and I didn't study together for all of our tests or our exams. We would sit across from each other at a coffee shop or later on in our apartment down the line and just study um, independently, but keeping each other company for hours and hours and hours. And uh, other people we knew were friends and, and they would do that. Uh, they would study for hours on end. Some people would study alone and, and certainly each of us had times when we would study alone, too. But Uh, Having a study buddy keeps you on task um, and gives you support, too, because it's a it's a daunting thing for a lot of people to sit in a coffee shop or sit at a desk for 12, 13, 14 hours in a day. This is serious study time. Uh, Of course, you have classes that you go to, but you may be sitting down for six, seven, eight hours in a day. Uh, and and having that community around you, that that support, other people doing it right along with you can can really keep you motivated and, and keep you happy. So uh, yeah, find a study buddy if that's something that works for you. One of the the an- other analogies that that I was reminded of, we like to say drinking from the fire hydrant. There's an uh, an awesome YouTube video out there that describes medical school. And the information that you need to learn every day, it, it describes it like eating 10 pancakes a day. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes, which again, you can get at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 32. And it's a video that shows a student eating 10 pancakes and then eating 10 more the next day. And one day he wants to take it easy and only eat five but then the next day he realizes he has to eat 15 and then he just can't do it and then all of a sudden you're behind and it's it's a pretty funny video and and describes medical school pretty well one thing i would just also add is that you're not going to be doing only book studying remember that you're entering anatomy lab gross anatomy you're also going to be in histology lab, most likely. We all have to learn about cell biology, histology, what what cells look like in different organs. So on the one hand, you think about you're going into an anatomy lab and you're going to be working with other students at dissecting a cadaver. 
And for someone like me, who's not very spatially oriented, boy, did I need Ryan's help to understand why different muscles moved your arms in different ways. I used to have him stand there and, and show me how, why this muscle made the arm, you know, move that way. For him, anatomy came like, you know, he could he could sleep and, and stand upside down and learn it. Um, it was very different for me. So that it medical school sometimes will demand certain skills from you that, or, or, it will uh, require you to adapt and and learn new skills uh, in a way that you haven't before because you mainly have been writing papers or studying from books in college. Then you turn to histology and you're looking under a microscope. And <laughs> again, I'm someone who likes to look through a microscope with one eye and it took me a long time to get comfortable. So these are just things, maybe these are sound ridiculous to you, but but when you think about it, uh, when I think about it, looking back, it's actually kind of funny that you're you're really challenged to to adapt your learning styles in different ways all at the same time because you're taking different courses in medical school uh, at the same time. So it's a real it's a blast. It's a fun time, but you got to let yourself adapt and learn what works for you. All right. So one of the other key things to think about at number three in our list is when you get to medical school, depending on what specialty you may be interested in, it might be a good idea to, hopefully you're near a residency program, near a hospital that has a residency program where you're going to be doing your clinical rotations. It, it might be a good idea to go and introduce yourself to those program directors and get to know the residents and start kind of getting in that scene because you'll, in a couple years, need to do some rotations there and, and get everybody to like you because those are going to be the ones that, if, if that's where you want to do your residency, you need to know them and they need to know you. But when you're exposing yourself like that, I don't know if that sounds really good, exposing yourself like that, but as you get exposed to those programs, it might be a good idea to start asking about research opportunities. Yeah, some specialties when uh, in residencies, uh, they will almost expect, some of them definitely will expect that you will already have had research, research experience or maybe even that you've been published uh, in a particular area. Uh, that may sound kind of scary, but uh, for neurosurgery, for ENT, some orthopedics, some of the really highly um, competitive residencies, they really do expect oftentimes that students have had research experience. And that doesn't mean that you have to be an MD-PhD student. There are plenty of MDs that we know who uh, are in very competitive specialty programs, uh, residency programs. And they didn't do an MD-PhD. They have their MD. Uh, but they did maybe take a year off in medical school to do um, a year of research. Or they were working with someone in a lab. And you might think to yourself, well, how on earth am I going to spend time working in a lab and doing research when you just told me that I'm going to be drinking from a fire hose and learning all this information? So that's why it's really important to talk to people. If you have an inkling that uh, you're interested in research uh, or that you are interested in a field where you think that you're going to be asked to do research um, as part of your application to residency, uh, be on the lookout and find uh, those key advisors um, and people in those specialty areas in your medical school who can help you and direct you about what you need to do. And, and like Ryan said, introduce you to people. Uh, you can be introduced to someone uh, and, and maybe start working in their lab. You also do have the summer, the one summer between your first and second year of medical school. And I would also highlight that 
as a, a perfect opportunity to really explore either in a clinical area or uh, you can use that time for research. For me personally, I chose to use that time to actually shadow a neurologist because I really enjoyed our neuroscience course in our first year. And as you all know, I'm just graduated uh, from my neurology residency. And so clearly that experience was transformative in my life and my medical school uh, career. So uh But if I had been interested in something like plastics, our medical school didn't offer that. So it would have been really important for me to uh, take that maybe that opportunity to to get to know what plastics is like and to meet people who are doing it. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. The next one. And this is something we kind of talk about a lot. And I think we can talk about it probably every week because it's one of the more important ones. And that's take care of yourself and the the important things diet exercise sleep as you go through medical school and you're learning physiology and how the body works you will learn that diet exercise and sleep all have profound effects on your memory and cognition as Allison the neurologist can t- probably go a-, a lot further in depth but we don't we don't need to hear but it, it is super important to to get a, enough sleep, to get some exercise, and to have a good diet, and, and to take care of yourself, because in the end, that will help you be a better student. There's an old expression we used to say in medical school, which is, eat when you can, sleep when you can, and don't F with the pancreas, <laughs> which... Uh, if you've learned about the pancreas, the organ does not like to be disturbed. So it was kind of a joke, but it really, there's truth in that. As Ryan said, diet, exercise, sleep. And I would add to that, um, whether you like to meditate, whether you like to, uh, nap, whatever you like to do, whether maybe you just like to sit around and vent and talk to people and and talk to your family. Uh, you, you need to find a way to relax your mind and get out that pent up frustration or your, your anxiety, your fear, your emotions. Uh, It's really important to have a support structure as part of taking care of yourself in medical school. And some of our friends in medical school had families. They came, um, they were older students and they already were married and had children. Um, Other students were single and were living very far away from home and were on their own. And so no matter what point you're at in your life, it's so important. Your medical school community really becomes your family. And uh, it's it's really important to build that that support structure around you to to talk to people in addition to doing those things that are so important for your your physical and mental health, the sleeping, um, eating right and um, and also uh, exercising, certainly. Yeah. And those are all things that you're going to be. Prescribing your future patients so it's it's a uh, not a do as I say not as I do kind of thing you need to actually personify those so next we have what I like to call and, and it's I think it's more of a business term just in time learning and it relates to the fact that when you start your clinical years you're gonna have plenty of books to read and the i think the the overall consensus is that you can't sit there and read a book from start to finish and during your clinical years and expect to learn it all what you need to do during your clinical years is learn from your patients 
when you when you're on your internal medicine rotation and you see a diabetic patient that has diabetic neuropathy, go read about diabetic neuropathy. If you have a surgical patient that has uh, some cool uh, something or other, go learn about that. Go learn and read about what your patients are currently uh, being treated for, and that will help ingrain that into your head a little bit more, but it also help when you're on rounds and you're you're being pimped, which if you don't know what being pimped is yet, you, you will shortly. It's when, when kind of the attending calls or the resident calls you uh, calls you out and asks you questions and expects you to know things. And, and so that that just in time learning and learning what your patients are presenting with will help you kind of shine a little bit more on rounds. And you'll retain that information better. So when I was an intern, uh, I remember asking one of my attendings a similar question about how was I going to uh, learn all of this knowledge about internal medicine in that one year I had before uh, entering my neurology residency. And he said just what Ryan said, which is, uh, make sure that you read about a topic as you're admitting a patient. So I was already a doctor at that point, so I was admitting I was responsible. Um, but uh, it goes back to in medical school too, when you're, just as Ryan said, when you're seeing patients on the wards. I think uh, in medical school, the other thing to know in the clinical years it's not to say that you shouldn't read books. I think what we're saying is don't sit down and try to open Harrison's Principles of Medicine and try to start reading it cover to cover. There's no way you'll retain all of it. It'll be out of context. It's not going to be useful to you. And your, your brain just, it won't stick. Again, unless you're some boy or girl genius who has some kind of you know memory that you see it once, you know it forever. Um, it's not practical. So uh, there are shelf exams uh, during each um, clinical rotation in medical school. The the big ones like medicine, surgery, OBGYN, neurology, psychiatry. Um, and those uh, shelf exams, you do need to have clinical material books to read. Um, so one of the great book series uh, that we all used uh, was called Case Series. And uh, I think it was Case Series or Case Files. Those are great books. Uh, they're really, they, they have clinical vignettes in them and they ask you questions afterwards and that's a great way to, to focus in on the key uh, diseases, the key um, pathophysiology that you need to know for uh, the subject matter that you're learning. So it, I think Ryan and I aren't saying don't read. I mean, of course, um, you know, you need to have a, a book that you're that you're keeping with you, a high yield book uh, throughout each of your clinical rotations. But take the opportunity when you're seeing patients to hone in and and learn about that disease process because you'll you'll learn about your patient and you'll never forget them. You'll remember these patients years later. That is true. the The next one that I I. I kind of don't like to talk about, but I need to talk about it. As as a pre med student going through the process, you're like, okay, the I'm I took the MCAT, I'm done. Now I'm a medical student. I can just worry about patients and obviously take the tests in medical school that I need to take, and then I'll be a doctor. But unfortunately, like the MCAT, there is another huge hurdle in medical school known as the boards. And if you're in an allopathic medical school, and an MD school, you're going to take the USMLE Step 1 and also Step 2 later. And if you're in a DO program, you're going to take the Comlex 
uh, level one. And you need to realize that this, this test, step one or level one, is going to be one of the biggest factors on your residency applications. And so you need to, if, if you want to go to a competitive residency, and, and we talk about the road residencies, radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesia, and dermatology, when, when we talk about those residencies and orthopedics and some other ones, you need to have a strong step one score, a level one score. So realize that from the get-go and realize that the best way to prepare for these, because unlike the MCAT, the the boards are knowledge-based tests. You you have to learn the information. The the best way to prepare for it from the get-go is just to do well in your your classwork and, and learn uh during your first and second year. Yeah, absolutely. The step one exam is uh, extremely important, as Ryan said. Uh, and even for the non-road specialties, uh, you know, the, the ones that are maybe not quite as competitive, remember that geography makes things competitive. So, for example, if you want to go into psychiatry, let's say, which is not one of the more competitive field. If you want to do psychiatry at Harvard, it sure as hell is going to be competitive. So geography does play in. Um, and I geography really more, you know, which program. So uh, step one matters. And uh, I would also say... One, one thing that I want to interrupt you real quick, along with geography, the other issue that we're having now that's all in the news is the fact that we are graduating more and more medical students without enough residency spots. And so it's we're getting to a point now where just because you graduate medical school doesn't mean you can practice medicine, and, and that's unfortunate. And if you kind of look in the news about law school and lawyers, they, they've had this issue now for a couple years where graduating law students can't get a job and being a lawyer is different because they don't have a mandatory internship that they need to do to practice law once they are out of law school as physicians just because we graduate medical school doesn't mean we can practice medicine we have to do at least a one-year internship and in many states you need to do a full residency and as we graduate more and more medical students, the competition for those fewer residency slots is getting tougher. And it, unfortunately, I think it's only going to get worse uh, for a couple of years before it starts to get better. And when I hear stories of, of some of the Caribbean schools graduating and, and matching students, six or 700 students a year, it, it's kind of disappointing because it's just adding a lot more uh, not necessarily competition, but it's just flooding the market when, when there's not many spots. So that's another reason to do well, yeah. even if you don't want to go into a, a highly competitive specialty. Absolutely. Always try to be as competitive as you can, be challenging yourself, competing with yourself uh, to be the best you can. And you know, P does equal MD, but as Ryan is pointing out, you do have to do residency. You have to do at least an internship and in most places a residency. And the reason is, by the way, everybody, it's because medical school teaches you what you need to know to become a doctor. It gives you all the the framework, all of the 
uh, coursework, all the knowledge you could say behind what you need to to uh, to know to be a doctor. But it it is actually your internship and your residency that 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 is where you learn how to be a doctor. So Ryan and I would both say, um, and we've talked about this, that it wasn't medical school that taught us how to be doctors. It was our internship and, and residency. So uh, there is a method to the madness. There's a reason behind that. Um, so I would also, again, ag- agree about step one. The other thing I would add, too, is that uh, when you think about applying for competitive residencies and also just being as competitive as you can, uh, your coursework will really factor in. Now, yes, you could go through medical school and get passes in all of your courses and be fine and graduate and be a successful physician. Uh, that being said, if you want to be more competitive getting those high pass grades and those honors grades will matter uh, because residency programs do look at at what your quote unquote grades were uh, in those classes. And so there aren't any you know letter grades, but the high passes and the honors really do matter. They matter on your transcript for medical school and also because uh, AOA, which is Alpha Omega Alpha, uh, which is the uh, honors society, if you will, for um, medical schools. Alpha Omega Alpha uh, is, I think at many, if not all, I don't think it's at all, but it's at many of the medical schools around the country in the United States. And AOA invites you to be a member of their society either after your first uh, two, I believe, uh, years, maybe three, but basically there's a junior acceptance and a senior acceptance. And the senior acceptance uh, takes into account some of your clinical grades as well, because those grades, those pass uh, high pass and honors or however the medical school does it, uh, those factor in in your clinical years as well. So AOA can be important uh, because residency programs look and see, oh, gee, that person's AOA. It just gives you another leg up. Um, and I'm sure in the military match, it probably gives you a point or something. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so uh, again, you know, grades and exam scores matter. One other thing I would just say as a last point on this in medical school, you kind of learn to become a professional test taker because you take so many tests uh, in all of your different course subjects. And then uh, you take a shelf exam for each of your clinical uh, rotations. So by the time you've graduated medical school, you really are a test taker. You know how to do this. Uh, Again, step one is its own uh, monster. It's its own exam, as is step two CK and step two CS. They're all they're all big exams. Uh, but the point is that you really it's not like with the MCAT where it's this big daunting one test. You know, you 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 take a lot of tests in medical school, and and you get really good at at preparing yourself, and that will come with with the step exams too. All right, let's finish up with the last one that we have. And it's kind of a, a combo one and, and similar to something that we talked about last week during the pre-med uh, kind of key things to know is the application timing. And applying early to residency is just as important as is applying early to medical schools. And one of the other things to realize is that when you apply and you start getting interview requests, typically what happens is a residency program will send out a batch of emails to people and say, we want an interview with you. Email us, call us, and schedule an interview. 
and it's an email that comes to you and it's a free-for-all. And use an email that you have access to and can access it pretty quickly because as soon as you get that email and you want to be on the phone or emailing back and accepting that invitation for an interview because it boils down to to an almost a first-come, first-serve. Everybody that that gets an invitation for an interview might not be able to interview because there might not be any slots left to interview at a program. So that's some of the important things to realize during the residency application. Absolutely. It's a very long process, the residency application process. It's through the uh, ARES and NRMP uh, National Residency Match Program, which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about in another podcast because it's, it's a whole beast. And that's, that's for the allopathic schools. That's right. Uh, so the the interviews, uh, you do earn your interviews. You need to earn them just like you do um, when you're applying to medical school. But just as Ryan said, um, the the interviews come to you and you want to you want to accept them immediately. You can cancel interviews later on if you need to, um, which is a whole nother topic. But it's important to really get that that application into ARIS if you're an allopathic student uh, early. Uh, and I'm speaking to that mainly because I was an allopathic student Um so, uh, but it is equally important for, for the DO students. So get that application in because I, I did have friends who actually wanted to uh, interview, wanted, were very interested in going to uh, residency programs at particular places and they waited too long. And so by the time they applied, the, the residency programs came back and said, gee, you know, we would have loved to interview you, but we just don't have any slots left. So it really does matter. Uh, it's a it's a very different kind of application process, um, and in the interviews in particular, uh, because it's while in medical school you're just kind of praying, oh my goodness, I want to get in. You're you're hoping that they'll accept you. Here it's give and take. The residency programs are actively recruiting you um, and very interested in having in getting your. Uh, vote, you know, that that you want to be a part of their residency class while you're um, also, you know, you're just equally, it's it's kind of a, a more uh, level ground. You're trying to recruit each other, if you will. So, and there, there are a lot more fun than medical school interviews. You go out, you get kind of wined and dined and... <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're making sure that you're kind of fun to hang out with for... Yes. Because you're going to be working with them for three, four, five, six, seven years. So... They're they're courting you and you're courting them, and so it's it's one big happy family. Right. So it's uh it's a great process and exciting and stressful all in one. But uh, get those applications in early so you get the best chance you have. All right, folks. That's seven or eight, depending on how you count, key things that we thought would be important as you are starting out your journey as a medical student. If you uh, are a medical student in, or, or a physician now and you have any other key things that you thought were important going through the process, let us know. Let the rest of the community know. You can go to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash session 32. Leave us a comment and let us know what you think is a, a good tip to share. As always, we hope that the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. We hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. 